Well, first, just a very happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our beautiful mothers who are here. It's a little bittersweet for me. Uh, bitter because I miss my own mother greatly. Sweet because there's really nothing like a mother's love. And I will forever treasure that for my own mother. And so thank you, mothers, for all you do. I just want to ask, it's not a competition, I'm just curious. Who has the most kids? I'm thinking, like, let's start at six. Raise your hand if you have six. Okay, wow, that's, that's good. We've got a handful. Uh, keep your hands up. Seven. Eight. <laughs> so seven is, we got eight? Eight. Nine. Nine. Anybody beat nine? Well, crack. Not, you got more than nine. How many? Thirteen. Clap for her. That's impressive, but you're never going to believe this. Last night at the 4 p.m., one of our parishioners, 21. I know. That's what I said. I was like, I don't even know how that's possible. 21. And I I asked her afterwards, I was like, you know, what's it like? And she's like, well, you're never alone. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that you're not. And she's like 90, you know? I mean, that, it was impressive. But anyway, mothers, you're a true gift to our world, so thank you for all you do. We're still dealing with the Last Supper discourse, okay? It's, the, it's, the, it's these four chapters in John's Gospel. It's the longest sustained dialogue of Jesus in, in anywhere in the New Testament. And I want you to understand this. So it's, it's given in the context of the Last Supper, right? Last Supper is where we see the Eucharist. We, see, we, we believe that the Last Supper is the first Mass, Okay? Jesus gives long homilies, for the record. Four chapters. His first homily is four chapters of the New Testament, okay? So no grief to me. He had longer ones than I did. There's these lines. I I really think, though, that this gospel today, it unlocks Christianity for us as, as one of the newest, wildest, unorthodox religions in the entire world. And there's this line, there's a couple lines, but the first one I want to deal with, I, so this last Friday, we read this gospel in daily mass. And for decades, my, my whole adult Christian life, I had read this line in a certain way, and I think it's meant to be taken in a different way. And the line is, you're going to know right away, is when Jesus says, no greater love does a man have than to lay down his life for his friends. Okay. For all of my life until Friday, I thought that's what he meant. I thought he meant do what I did, die for others. In fact, we as humans, as a species, we hold up the greatest act of valor is to die for somebody, right? To give your life for somebody else. And if you don't know them, that's even greater valor and honor. But I, on Friday morning at like 6 a.m., I was praying. I'm like, what if it doesn't mean die for me? It means live for me. Because I can lay down my life, my wants, my wishes, my desires, what I want in this life. I can let that go and live for somebody else. 
So maybe it has nothing to do with dying. Maybe it has to do with living for another. And that's why he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. If you live for me. And why do we do that? He says it. So that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. And that leads us to the last line. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. So the question then becomes, are you going to live for him? He has already chosen you, sought you out. He's knocking at your door. Will you live for him or are you going to live your own life? Is it going to be just about you? This was huge in my conversion. I remember this one. I was like, I found God. And God was like, I've always been here. It's not like you just bumped into me. As the second reading says, right? It's not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us. And this makes Christianity revolutionary. Totally different. Every other religion is about us seeking God. Right? If I do enough yoga, I will centering prayer and Buddhism and Eastern spirituality. That if I, if I apply myself enough, I will encounter the divinity. Most modern spiritualities are grounded in this quest for God. That I can find the mysterious divinity that's behind the intricate workings of the universe. Not Christianity. Christianity is all about God hunting us down. And when we come to understand that, everything changes in the spiritual order. Instead of trying to cultivate different steps to holiness, we start to cultivate an attitude of surrender. Am I going to allow myself more and more to be found and to be loved? And in being loved and being found, will I lay down my life and follow? Because when I... If this is the way the life of the Christian is, we're not in charge. We're not in charge. I have a, a, maybe I told you this story, but it bears repeating. A, a, friend, a priest friend of mine, I think he's probably, he probably passed by now, but his name is Father Larry Gillick. He's a Jesuit down at Creighton in Omaha. And he taught us one year for this summer program we were at. And he told us, he went on vacation to New England. He, he was blind for the record. I think he was blind from birth. And he went to New England every year for like 10 years. And he always went to the same spot. And he always went on vacation. And every morning he would get up and he'd go on a walk. And he said, you know, I'm blind. But I did the walk so many times that I knew the exact path. And he said, one day I was out walking. And all of a sudden, I just had this sense. I don't know where I am. Now, if you're blind and you don't know where you are. That's a predicament. And so he did what any good Jesuit would do. He prayed. He said, Jesus, I'm lost. I don't know where to go. And he said, the Lord spoke to him very clearly and said, Larry, go sit down in the middle of the road. And as any good Jesuit would say, Larry said, Jesus, that's stupid. (laughs) And Jesus said, no, go do it. Trust me. And so Larry, this grown man, he goes, walks out into the middle of the road and sits down. And he hears a car coming. 
And he's just getting all tense. He's, Jesus is just like, Larry, just stay, buddy. I got this. Sure enough, the car stops. People get out. He tells them what's going on. They take him home. And as he's walking up to his front door, he said, I just realized I had been taught one of the most profound spiritual lessons of my life. When you're lost and without direction, stop and simply put yourself in a position to be found. You don't have to take control of the situation. In fact, when we take control of the situation, we often make it worse. Just stop and let God take over. Let him guide you. We don't have to seek out God. We just have to allow ourselves to be found by by him. And what that means is living for him, seeing him in all you do. You're a part of God's plan. You're a player. You are caught up into God's drama, if you will. The kingdom needs you. This happened to me in my own conversion. I was trying so hard to create my own kingdom. We all do this. We all do this. Build and save for retirement. I got land. I got houses. I got my 401k. I got, if I can just get enough money and, and, and then I'll be safe and I can have this life when I get older where I can sit and drink coffee on my deck every morning and read the newspaper. That's boring. I was sitting there and I'm like, that's so boring. And I had the same idea in my head. And I know that's hard to believe, but I had a really cute girlfriend that I'd been dating for like a year and a half. I was graduating from college. I had a job lined up that I was probably going to make more money than I should have right out of college. And I was miserable. And I remember laying in bed and I'm like, God, there's got to be more to this life than this. And God really works in strange and mysterious ways in my life. I went downstairs and grabbed a bowl of Cheerios. And sitting on the table was, I think it was Rolling Stone magazine. And I was just flipping through the pages. And of all people to speak to me, God used Madonna. (laughs) Madonna, in an interview, said this. I have an iron will. And I use this will to conquer this horrible feeling inside of me of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think of myself as mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again this happens to me. My drive in life is from this horrible thought of being uninteresting. And this feeling is always pushing me and pushing me. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle will never end, and it probably never will. I read that, and I'm like, that's me. I'm trying to create this world for myself in which I'm the king. My kingdom, which I control. I have my arms around And I make sure everything's perfect. And that, my friends, is the curse of the modern world. It is the most terrible way to live. But we all fall into it. And when we do it, we miss Jesus. Because we're too caught up in our kingdoms, we can't live in his kingdom. Our kingdom has to crumble before his kingdom can rule. 
And how do we do that? We do that by just giving ourselves completely to him. Our finances, our families, our entertainment, our everything is governed by him. That's how you know he's the king of your life. And when you experience that, you realize that you're not in charge. He's leading. And man, that is when the fun begins. I didn't want to say fun. That's when the freedom begins. You guys, never in my wildest dreams could I have dreamt the life I have lived once I surrendered completely to Jesus. And I said, I'm done. You get your way in my life, not me. I will do whatever you ask. And he asked me to go to seminary. And I walked into seminary. And the first thing I said when I stepped through the front doors is, Jesus, tell me to leave. That's how good of a seminarian I was. And I prayed, Jesus, tell me to leave. Tell me to leave. Tell me to leave. And then my last year of seminary, when I went before the board, and they do the recommendation for orders, an hour-long meeting with all of the formators. They grill you with everything. And after you're done, you go and sit out in the hallway and they deliberate and see if you're going to be ordained a priest. And I was sitting in that hallway with tears in my eyes and I prayed, Jesus, don't tell me to leave. Because I had been caught up into the plan, his plan. That I play a major part in. That all of you play a major part in. Let me close with Cardinal Newman's prayer, which changed my life. He said, God has created me to do him some definite service in this life. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have a mission. I may never fully know it in this life. But I shall be told it in the next. Somehow. I am necessary for his plan. Each and every one of us is necessary in the kingdom of God. So let go of your wants and wishes and desires. And lay down your life for him. And live for him.